Wilson Dakwa has described the development as a major intervention. We have achieved uh, quite well. Totally, we have about uh, 13,600 hectares put under irrigation. I will not say that all that area is being cropped now. That is the developed area. But due to challenges here and there, not all those areas are cropped. But you can see that in the rainy season, when rainfall uh, is, is done, then almost all the area is cropped. It is in the dry season that they do irrigation and also supplementary irrigation. And that's Wilson Dakwa, the Chief Executive of the Ghana Irrigation Development Authority. You're still listening to the Joy Business Report. Now, have you thought of securing a brand new car for just 60,000 CDs? Well, that's what VW is offering on its brand new cars assembled locally. But just like what happens in every competitive market, other firms are set to offer similar prices to consumers in Ghana. But is the market ready for this? I have more on development in the automobile industry in today's business journal. It has been one of the most intriguing development initiatives of government, the establishment of a viable automobile industry in Ghana. We are interested in developing a vibrant and dynamic automobile industry in Ghana. We have made several initiatives towards that end. Finally, I believe we're now ready to outdoor our automotive policy. Two years into this vision and already major automobile companies have started business. It all started with a joint venture with Suzuki, CFAO and Toyota. I'm working for Suzuki for 32 years. So we are highly interested in participating in such an initiative made by the Ghanaian government. We wish to start production here, to expand it and grow it. With 30% shares in Ghana's automobile space, Toyota is up for some competition as it focuses on a local assembly point in the country. Andrew Lamte is head of sales operations of Toyota Ghana. A lot of um, responsibility on us to ensure that every Ghanaian who wants to own a vehicle should be able to purchase a vehicle and pick a brand new vehicle. Even before these international automobile firms moved to Ghana, government has instituted an automobile bill to regulate this niche market. An interesting slant to this bill is the ban on the importation of overaged and salvaged cars. This has been the bone of contention for members of the Automobile Dealers Union of Ghana, ADAC, who fear losing the very industry they've held on for the past 50 years. Edikusi heads the Accra branch of the association. If you're a government and you are telling me that you are bringing in assembler, somebody to manufacture a car in your country, we have these big cars, car company coming in. And you are telling me that if the company comes in to manufacture a car and he's able to assemble maybe about two or three brands or kinds, you will allow him, because of the competition, to bring others that they have assembled outside. If we are going to lose that revenue, what are we gaining as a country? Ghana's history in vehicle assembly dates back to the 1960s. The first vehicle assembly plant was opened in Accra on February 2nd, 1969. Auto part vehicle assembly plant, which was in the then Ring Road North Industrial Area, 
was equipped to produce 600 Nissan cars, 600 buses, pickups and trucks each year. The plant assembled only Nissan vehicles with components from Japan. The success of these initiatives rests on the preference and purchasing power of Ghanaians. As Ghana's demographic becomes largely lower middle income, we hit the streets to find out if they will go in for a second hunt or brand new car. I'll go for a brand new car. My reason is me, I prefer something being maybe be using for the first time. Brand new is always brand new. There's no way to compare a second hand or used car to a brand new car. The, the issue has to be with uh, affordability of, of brand new cars. It's difficult for an average Ghanaian to be able to afford a brand new car. Ghana's first indigenous car assembly company, Kantanka, faces competition. Even though there are calls for more collaboration with government, concerns arrive over their survival as the big giant in the car manufacturing space announced their presence in Ghana. Well, and that's how we put uh, a close to the Joy Business Report with me, Charles Aite. The locker room is up next with George Addo Jr. and the team. First of all, the announcement to stay. As we continue to fight COVID-19 together, EcoBank offers you several ways to stay home, stay safe, and take control of your finances. Use EcoBank Mobile whenever, wherever, with or without an EcoBank account to send money through SMS and email. Also buy airtime, pay bills, and much more from the comfort of your home. For high-value transactions, use our internet banking services. EcoBank QR code enables you to make cashless digital payments when paying for goods and services. Download the EcoBank Mobile today from the Google Play Store, App Store, or from our Facebook page. Additionally, dial the short code star 770 hash from any phone and start transacting. EcoBank cares. Remember to observe social distancing, wash your hands frequently, and don't touch your face. For further assistance, can we call EcoBank Contact Center on 3225 anytime, any day, toll free. Stay home, stay safe. EcoBank, the Pan African Bank. Joy 99.7 FM. May I please have your attention for the following announcements? The Corte and Annan families wish to announce the sudden demise of their beloved Madame Vivian Nakoli Corte, whose death occurred at the Wajak Bawe Municipal Hospital on the 25th of June 2020. She was 48. Funeral arrangements are as follows. There will be no way keeping. Burial service takes place on Saturday, the 18th of July, 2020 at Odoko Otaten near the traffic lights at 7 a.m. Interment will be held at Bawe Cemetery. Mother, Victoria Annan, children, Joanna A. Kwe, Patrick Akpetogbo, Faustina Akpetogbo, Isaac Akpetogbo, Justice Akpetogbo, Julius Akpetogbo, Lord Fred Akpetogbo, Godfred Akpetogbo, and Veronica Adams, grandchildren Presla Kui and Elaine Okine, all friends and sympathizers are cordially invited. That's all for the announcements. For all your sports news in the locker room. I'm Sarah Mulkerns, host of Sports World on the BBC World Service. For the very best of previews to the sporting weekend, listen to George Addo Jr. on The Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM.
Hello, I'm Lee James, host of Sports World on the BBC World Service. For the best of previews to the sporting weekend, listen to George Addo Jr. on The Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM. Live on radio, live online, this is The Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM with George Addo Jr. Spanish La Liga's culmination after a tough season is top of the weekend sporting agenda with a scrap for top four and relegation battles to finalise. Bad luck to touch it before, but he can touch it all he wants now. Sergio Ramos takes the trophy to uh, the centre of his team. I was going to ask you, Albert, before those interviews, that we don't, they don't really have a player of the season in Spain, do they? But if you had to pick one from this group of players for Real Madrid this season, as Ramos lifts the trophy aloft and Real Madrid confirmed as champions, who would you go for? Well, Sergio's one of the contenders, obviously, but I would go for Karim Benzema. I think he's played a fantastic season, not only scoring goals, but uh, helping the team in many, many aspects of the game and being a reference in attack. Well, actually, um, basically being the only striker because the, the other two strikers, they haven't really played uh, a lot. So um, I think Benzema has been, it's been a key player from Real Madrid. So um, Sergio Ramos and Benzema, but I would go for Benzema. Real Madrid finally snapped a title away from rivals Barcelona for the 2020 season. All 10 games kick off simultaneously on Sunday and the Ketting has drawn on a successful season. There are European places to fight for two and the time to decide who goes down. We have analysis and a special place for permutations ahead on our show. We'll monitor same in Italy, which Juventus, despite the slump in form, gradually confirming their place as winners of the Scudetto once more. We have a preview to all games this weekend to come in England. Two FA Cup semi-final clashes among these four will be the toast of fans. Barkley outside the centre circle, still going. Barkley now 30 yards out. Barkley to the edge of the air. Fernandinho playing the ball through, angled for Gabriel Jesus, Champions League hat-trick scorer in midweek, he pulls it back across, De Bruyne, right foot shot into the top of the net, and Manchester City are in front in the second minute, and that was sizzling from Manchester City. Shoots ball to the coffers, Bamiyang with the header, and into the back of the net, Pepe just stood it up into an area, and Bamiyang leapt brilliantly, and he's nodded it in to make it Arsenal 1, Newcastle 0. Serie FA Cup winners Arsenal take on Manchester City while Chelsea face their nemesis this season Manchester United in the second clash on Sunday we have analysis ahead of the clashes and we preview Premier League games littered across the weekend too also coming up slides out away we go Hamilton and Verstappen get away well Sainz is already closing up on Verstappen Bottas on his own in fourth place Hamilton leads in a turn one Sainz goes through and off the track ahead of Verstappen comes back on behind the Red Bull Bottas in fourth and now Alex Albon it's Hamilton who leads them now up towards turn three. Under breaking, Verstappen on the inside maintains second place. They're all keeping out of trouble so far, apart from the two Ferraris. Sebastian Vettel and Charles Leclerc make contact. Yes, they did. Heavy oh, contact. look at that. Lewis Hamilton, he comes round the final corner to win the Styrian Grand Prix. And for 
Mercedes, our first one-two at this track since 2015. And there goes Lando Norris around the outside. He's got a good track. Following on from back-to-back events in Austria, the Formula One World Championship is heading across the border to Hungary for the third round of the 2020 season. Ahead of this weekend's race, there's much concern about Ferrari's form and the ability to turn things around. Ferrari cancelled their post-race news conference on Sunday after their drivers collided on the first lap, taking both out of the race. So we ask if Tifosi can rise above the political and mechanical challenges. Analysis ahead. If you'd love to send us a message, we'd love to read them via social media accounts on George slash 907 on Facebook, 0244340437 on WhatsApp, or tweeted us at GH and reacting to any of our discussions on the show. Time to talk about what the world is talking about in the world of sports. Hello from me, George Addy Jr., and welcome. So it's a special Friday afternoon and we get to talk about what's to come in the weekend. Formula One under menu. We'll talk some football, yes, and there's a lot of rounds as well in terms of transfers and very good transfers. Ghanaian players are moving from one place to another and we're getting some big, big moves as well. Remember that you can send us your messages via the WhatsApp line 0244340437 or indeed tweet at us at JoySportsGH. No better place to start this afternoon than here. So let's start with the news of Ghanaian players abroad and indeed there's a breath of fresh air, optimism, there are big moves and they are thing. We know Ghana striker Kudus Mohamed has signed a five-year contract with Ajax in a deal set to have cost 9 million euros, an amount that could increase slightly due to bonuses. Kudus, who has played in Denmark since 2018, is now regarded as one of the best talents in the Danish Superliga. Many pundits are keeping close tabs as well, and Atletico Madrid and Black Stars midfielder Thomas Partey as well. So how precious are these times and how expected should football fans be here in the country? Joining me now is my colleague Benedict Ouzo with some analysis. Thanks, Benedict, for your time on the show. And it feels good to know there are finally great moves for Ghanaian players on the horizon. Are we right to feel this way? Yes, George, it feels good. It feels great. I mean, knowing very well that uh, some of our Ghanaian players are much talked about uh, to join some great clubs in Europe. I mean, for a very long time, we're not having this. Uh, normally, when we talk about transfer of players, uh, it was just about relatively football uh, unknown countries and not the top, top teams that we are used to. Uh, unlike previously, when uh, you hear Mike Lisson move from France, Lyon to Chelsea, you hear Stephen Apia uh, to Juventus or Fenerbahce, uh, you hear Suleiman Tari going to uh, AC Milan, Inter Milan, Kevin Prince Button moving to Barcelona and all that, Samoa John. Uh, I mean, the examples are there. John Mensah, John Pintel, all of these players uh, some time back were moving to top, top clubs and we're very excited and elated about it. But uh, for some years now, almost our players, anytime we hear them moving, as I made mention, it's, it's got to do with relatively football and non countries and not, top, not two of uh, big clubs uh, for us. But now, uh, our players are being talked about everywhere. Thomas Partey, today he's going to Arsenal, tomorrow he's going to Manchester United, and it feels great. You talk about Salisu, he's going to Southampton, Mohamed Kudu is making a move, Samotete, Gideon Mensah, and all these boys. I think that uh, we, 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 we are right to feel very good and, and great about this. Yes, of course, we're hoping that there are great moves for more Ghanaian players. But, Benedict, let's talk about the teenage sensation, Mohamed Kudus, who pops up at Ajax. How big is this for the young man? Well, Mohamed Kudus' deal to Ajax uh, is big, is huge for him. Uh, I think that is, a, is one of the most sensible moves any young player will make. 
I mean, look at the transition. If you are leaving Denmark, Nordland, and you want to, you know, be up there in terms of your football career, and you are moving to a place like Ajax, the Dutch league, I think that is a major step. It's a great step. It's a sensible step for the young man. And whoever, you know, led this deal, whoever broke this deal for Mohamed Kudus has done him a great deal uh, in terms of his football development. I think that it is great. It is big. It, it is not just big. For me, this is the greatest move a young player of uh, his caliber uh, can ask for. And he definitely will succeed. And it's a good move for Mohamed Kudus. So, what should we expect from him? There are articles flying here, there and everywhere about his ability to replace Hakim Ziyech, who has joined Chelsea. Is that just about right? Or too much pressure for him at the moment? Well, George, we should expect a lot. I mean, a lot in terms of his performances. We all know what he did uh, for Nordjylland since joining them in 2018. The number of goals that he scored uh, in 58 appearances and became a very key member of the team was wearing the number 10 uh, shirted jersey. He's a versatile player, utility player. He can be used as a, you know, uh, as an offensive play, a more offensive role. Can also uh, come back, uh, come back not as in a centre back, but uh, deep in midfield. Can play on both right and left wing of attack and he scores goals as well so I think that that will help him Uh, he has pace he's strong he's young brilliant and knows his stuff so joining a team like Ayas where development is very key although they also have their eyes on uh, winning major laurels last season we saw how well they played in the UEFA Champions League nearly got to uh, the finals of the competition eliminated uh, Christian Ronaldo's Juventus with the likes of Delete, uh, Zayech and all the other players and you know Delete has left for Juventus Zayech also is joining uh, Chelsea or has already joined Chelsea so uh, in terms of pressure I don't think it puts a lot of pressure on uh, Mohamed Kudus uh, to perform. All that I, I know and all that I, I believe is that it's just a good environment for him to you know develop to the level that uh, we all want him to get to. And I think that uh, Ayas is very good. The environment will help him a lot and with his qualities and, and, and his uh, ambition and what he really wants to do for himself in terms of his football career is the best place for him to be now. Well, Benedict, this is a big one because Thomas Partey is another player many are keeping their eyes on. We know quite a number of clubs are still interested in him. His club, Atletico Madrid, are holding up for him as well. Where are we now on this? Is that big news soon? Yeah, Thomas Partey has been talked about a lot almost every day. You read articles uh, in the media, in the in the UK media, linking him to Arsenal. But still, no deal has been reached yet. Uh, the last time I checked, which was yesterday, Atletico Madrid, that's his team, uh, they, 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 were very, they, are, they are very keen on keeping Thomas Partey. Uh, so what they are trying to do is to give him a well-improved uh, contract extension so he stays at Atletico Madrid. But Arsenal are also keen on getting him. So, well, we'll wait to see what will happen. But Really, it looks like Atletico Madrid are in a comfortable lead in terms of keeping Thomas Partey at the club. Well, yeah, Benedict, before you leave me on the show, uh, look, are there any players on the move? Talk about Ghanaian players. Are there any players we can be looking out for? Well, in terms of other players on the move, uh, Salus Mohamed, who currently plays uh, as a centre-back for Real Valladolid in the Spanish La Liga, is highly tipped to join English Premier League Southampton. What a deal or what a move it will be if uh, he's able to do so. Because, I mean, Southampton, as we, we've known over the years, have produced some great players. And uh, we can all talk about Virgil van Dijk, the likes of uh, Sadio Mane. And look at the Southampton team. This season, they've been phenomenal. They're uh, playing some delightful football in the English Premier League. So you look at someone like Salus, 
Sally Sue, who is in the shape. If you if you don't really know Sally Sue, uh, just picture Jerome Boateng. He's in the shape of Jerome Boateng. That's how he plays his football. His movement, his touches, is so so just like that of Jerome Boateng. And he's been amazing for Valladolid in the Spanish La Liga. And I think that if uh, this move is uh, is able to go through, it will be massive and it will be great for Salus Mohamed. But Baba Adams is also being talked about. Um, he plays his club football for Mallorca. He's a defensive midfielder. We saw him in those two Black Stars games uh, before uh, everything was halted due to the coronavirus. I'm talking about the South Africa and the Saltumi game. And uh, we've seen his performances for Mallorca week in, week out in the Spanish La Liga. If Thomas Partey should leave Atletico Madrid for Arsenal or to any other team, Baba definitely will be Partey's replacement at Atletico Madrid. Uh, Samuel Tete also recently ended his loan move, uh, his two-year loan stint uh, with Lask Lensk in the Austrian League uh, after well, such a very wonderful season, playing 29 games, uh, scoring nine goals uh, with four assists. Uh, Tete has uh, really done himself a lot of good in terms of uh, you know getting a team in the transfer market and uh, we hear that top teams uh, in Holland and even some teams in America and uh, England Germany are all looking for uh, Samuel Tete. So uh, that's also one on the cast to look forward to. And Gideon Mensah also recently ended uh, his loan uh, move at uh, Volte Varygon uh, in the Belgian League. Now he's also uh, looking to join the team. Uh, originally, just as Samuel Tete, they are all from Red Bull Salzburg in the Austrian League. And now they, they, they either go back or, you know, get a new team. So, uh, and he's also been talked about a lot that top teams in Portugal, Benfica are all, you know, interested in him. Even uh, KLC Genk are interested in getting him uh, in Belgium. The other top teams as well looking forward to, you know, get the signature of Gideon Mensah. So I think it's a good time to, uh, it's, it's a great, great moment for these players, especially with all that we've been clamoring for, that our players should be playing top, top clubs and top leagues in the world. So it's good. And we all hope and pray that uh, their deals uh, to these uh, clubs uh, will materialize and we'll see them play uh, week in, week out in the top leagues in the world. Thanks again for your time on the show. Always a pleasure. All right, so that was Benedict Owusu with a great, great insight in what to expect when it comes to Kudus Mohammed and everything. Of course, Benedict, I mean, my colleague Uriku Ampofu joins me in studio, and we've got one or two things to do yet before we have a little chat about La Liga. There's a big one coming up, but Uriku, let's start first with Kudus. Just have a look again at the Ajax setup. As you've been writing, indeed, putting up uh, a lot of great articles on my journal line. You want to quickly get onto my journal line, read that as you click the spot stop. We have so much on uh, Kudus Mohammed. Just how is that formation looking like right now? Where do you expect him to be playing? Uh, for, for Ajax, we have an idea of uh, their style of football and their philosophy. And in terms of formations uh, that have been used under Ten, ten Hag, in the past two seasons, uh, he's used uh, a 4-2-3-1 in more than 80% of his games in uh, two seasons. Uh, but when he's not using a 4-2-3-1, he also tends to use a 4-2-3. Now, supposing he goes with a 4-2-3-1 formation, which he mostly does, then... I think Kudu's versatility would help in, uh, you know, 
pushing him into that starting eleven because uh, I had Didi Dramani speaking this morning and he's one of the coaches at Nordland and he said that uh, they made a deliberate attempt to ensure that Kudus uh, could play in midfield as a false nine, as a striker, and as a winger as well. So uh, that is an advantage, added advantage uh, for the Ghanaian. So I think if they do go with the four-two-three information, he can play from the right wing like how Ziyech used to do for Ajax cutting in and uh, creating chances and dribbling and getting into the box to end a uh, good finishing um, good plays by the team but he can also play as an attacking midfielder right behind the striker uh, as he did get that chance to do that as well in Nordland and also playing as the false now remember in this 4-2-3-1 system Ajax Tadic plays as a false now so he can also debutize there as well so there are a lot of options for uh, Ten Hag in, in terms of how to deploy his new signing but breaking into this team would not be easy promise has been good on the left wing David Neres spent majority of last season injured and he would be feeling as if a new as, as a new signing this season so he would be competing on that right wing as well and then they have a new signing Anthony who's a brilliant chap a prospect from Brazil he was brought from Sao Paulo as well twice the amount that they used for Kudus and he's also a winger uh, so it's not going to be a walk in the pack in terms of getting into the stars in 11 for Kudus but he certainly has the potential Ajax see him as a player that they do want and need and uh, we'll see how it goes. Of course we'll see how it goes. Great to know he has made the move and definitely there's more to come and if you want to keep right in touch with us in terms of keeping up to date with all the news that come in with all the transfers you have to stick with Joy Sports now let's get to Spain and talk about it because one team of course Real Madrid managed to grab their 34th title record 34th title touch it before but he can touch it all he wants now Sergio Ramos takes the trophy to uh, the centre of his team I was going to ask you Albert before those interviews that we don't, they don't really have a player of the season in Spain do they but if you had to pick one from this group of players to Real Madrid this season as Ramos lifts the trophy aloft and Real Madrid confirmed as champions who would you go for? Well Sergio's one of the contenders obviously but I would go for Karim Benzema I think he's played a fantastic season, not only scoring goals, but uh, helping the team in many, uh, many aspects of the game and uh, being a reference in attack. Well, actually, um, basically being the only striker because the, the other two strikers, they haven't really played uh, a lot. So um, I think Benzema has been, it's been a key player from Real Madrid. So um, Sergio Ramos and Benzema, but I would go for Benzema. Real Madrid definitely with that win over Villarreal meant that they were going to grab their 34 title really really good for Zinedine Zidane what he's won two titles in three years not bad okay no I mean they have won two titles in three years 2016 2017 he was the man who led them and of course managed to win again in 2019 2020 so Riku this is why you are here just tell me um, where do we even start from is this triumph down to Zidane's ingenuity or really one as a function of Barcelona's royalty? I, th- I think it's a, it's a little bit of both. And uh, you have to credit uh, whichever team wins, and that's Real Madrid. And uh, essentially, uh, the driving force behind this Real Madrid success, uh, I would say, is Zinedine Zidane. And you look at the nature with which uh, they ended the season, 
and it does highlight the impact that he's had on the team. Now, his first thing with Madrid was out of this world, winning the Champions League back to back to back. Uh, that was unprecedented, and he went for a much needed break. Came back, a lot of question marks were thrown in there because Real Madrid had had about three coaches, and it, it, it looked as if the, t- the team had peaked and was starting to head for a downward spiral, especially due to the fact that it was difficult to motivate these same crop of players who had been used to so much success in the past few years. It was a challenge that Zidane took, and what a job that he's done in under two years. And uh, he's managed to transform this side. He's let go of some players. He's brought in some new players. He's brought in new energy. He's not been afraid uh, to drop the big names, and he's also not been afraid to play the young names. I think that his system has been based on meritocracy and whoever you know impresses him in yeah. the training yeah. and uh, that is one thing that I think Zidane has done very well on the other hand you can also say that FC Barcelona were not themselves this season and uh, they're not difficult even, difficult difficult to really validate that they started well didn't they yeah they started well but the, just, the world is clear Till. You look at La Liga and uh, it has become the bread and butter of Barcelona, you know, winning 10 in the last 15 years mm, or so. Mm. If we add this year, 10 in the last 16 years. Uh, but for, for Barcelona, not even getting to reach 90 points can be considered as a failure because mm. if you look at their past records, 90 points always used to be a minimum, even when they lose the league. So if you, if you take a look at the league table, seven points behind Real Madrid, and Real Madrid themselves are not even going to get to 90 points. Just highlights how poor Barcelona have been, even especially after the lockdown, dropping so many points mm. against Sevilla, against Atletico Madrid, and now dropping much points against Osasuna in the final day. I just think it was a point too many and you go back to Real Madrid and right before the lockdown you know Real Madrid beat Barcelona in the Classical and then lost against Betis now that was a major setback for Zidane's men but they went on a two-month break and that's where I think that the difference was mm. I think that Real Madrid used the break much better than Barcelona did maybe it might be due to complacency I do not know what went on but after the break Real Madrid have been a different side renewed energy they've been motivated and you can clearly see from the results 10, 10 matches 10 wins for Zidane's side was and good. they've wrapped up the title uh, just this one and um, what more can we expect from Real Madrid they are in the Champions League look at the way they are playing the youngsters have had a bit of tastes of power, glory. What should we expect from them in the Champions League? I, I think that for, for Real Madrid stands, what, what they really wanted this season was the La Liga. The last time that they won that was in 2016-2017 and that Zinedine Zidane himself. And he, he's won the La Liga a couple of times and won the Champions League three times. But he always seems to mm. credit the La Liga and saying that that is more difficult and that's more important to him than the Champions uh, than League. Than the Champions League because of you know how long the whole season is. He has his reasons, you might not agree, but I think it's fair considering the number of matches that you have to play, the ups and downs when it comes to a round robin competition such as a league. But coming back to the Champions League they do have to play Man City and uh, in that second leg. For 19 minutes, away. these boys are playing well this week, man. Yeah, they, they are going well. Man City, well. Are playing Man City well as themselves well. are playing very well. But unfortunately, they would, they would, they would have a deficit. They've considered two away goals. They would to score two goals. Yeah, there's no Sergio Ramos who's okay. been very influential. So it's going to be difficult for them. But on a motivational basis, it's going to be difficult to motivate this side, especially in the Champions League. They've won three Champions League back to back. No one is going to be so mad. No Madrid fan is going to be so sad if they do not win the Champions League. They've got the La Liga in the bag. They're not expected to win the Champions League. I think it might be season over for them. See, just the next one in there, the next 16 minutes. 
is something that most Barcelona fans do not want to hear. Is it about time to start thinking Barcelona without Messi? I think it's been time for a couple of years now. Yeah, you, you look at last season, for instance. You're failing to take the bold step. Is it now time to take a bold step? Yeah, I think it's time. I think it's time. It's been time for a while now. Messi, Messi has not been the same young Messi, dropping deep, creating everything and, you know, making the whole team about him. And uh, the more he stays without support... The more the, the much the much that's expected for him, and it, unfortunately, it, he does not have that capabilities anymore. He cannot make those days and runs like he used to do from the center of the pack to go and score at the end of the pack. Now he has to rely yeah. on his teammates. But Ori Kwan he scored how many goals? How many goals? Twenty three goals. Is it? Yeah, he scored twenty three goals. Now take those twenty three goals out of what Barcelona have now, and Barcelona would be nowhere. Yeah, it's exactly. one critical games for them. Exactly. Barcelona probably scared of what will happen when there's no Messi, at least for the next two years. Yeah, but but then again, if if you had Messi from ten years ago in this season, Barcelona would have probably done much better. And that's what they are failing to understand. That Messi is no longer Messi. He's on he's on the path to, you know, having his lowest ever goal scoring record. Yes. And you can clearly see that he's frustrated, he's not happy, he's not playing as he could or maybe it's just due to his age mm. and the natural order but yeah rightly so Barcelona have to start looking beyond it even if it's not facing him out completely like how Real Madrid did with Cristiano Ronaldo they have to start getting that support that backroom support that can take some of the responsibility mm. so that even if Messi is scoring 23 goals you do have other players chipping in with 30 goals right. and uh, like what MSN used to do uh, but unfortunately he doesn't have that. Suarez it's going, it's going to take injured. time. And you're going to have a lot more time to discuss this mm-hmm. on the Sports Arena on Sunday. Watch out for Rikuan Poffa. As we culminate the La Liga season, is ending on Sunday. A lot of talk to come. Rikuan, let me say thank you very much for joining me. Thank you too. And uh, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. I mean, but at least you, I hope you are fine. Knowing that <laughs> <laughs> I'm very okay. The Romans really have won this one. Thank you very much, Rikuan Poffa. That's it. And there's more talk coming up definitely here on the locker room. Now time to jump straight from Spain into England and find out what we've got for you. I've had a great chat with the BBC's John Bennett. Hope you enjoyed this. Thanks, John, for your time this weekend. And let's begin with a big decision from the Court of Arbitration for Sports, which set Manchester City free to play in Europe next season. Now, they have been mixed reactions, with many wondering if UEFA's financial fair play rules will stand the test of time. What's your take? Hi, George. Yeah, you're right to start by talking about this story. It is uh, the big football story of the week, without a doubt. Manchester City relieved they will be in the Champions League next season and the season after that. I think for them... It means that it will be easier to keep their star players like Kevin De Bruyne, keep their manager Pep Guardiola, although he said he would have stayed anyway, and also to attract star players. Expect them to be busy now in the summer transfer market, despite the fact that, of course, the, the coronavirus pandemic will have uh, a big impact on, on the summer transfer window here in Europe. Um, Manchester City manager Pep Guardiola, he is saying that his team deserves an apology after they successfully overturned their ban. Other managers in the Premier League not so happy. Jose Mourinho, his quotes caught my eye. He said if you're not guilty, you shouldn't have a fine because remember Manchester City uh, did have a fine which was cut by um, the Court of Arbitration for Sport but they were still fined. I don't know if Manchester City are guilty or not but either way it's a disgraceful decision. And the Liverpool boss Jurgen Klopp, he was saying that he's happy actually that 
Manchester City will be in the Champions League because it means they'll have more games next season. It will make it uh, less easy for them to, to challenge in the Premier League because they'll have to focus on the Champions League. But he was also saying, I don't wish anything bad on anyone, but I don't think it's a good day for football. Financial fair play is a good idea and it's there to protect teams and the competition. That's my worry, actually, with this, George. Um, don't get me wrong, I'm pleased for Manchester City fans that they'll get to play in the Champions League. But I hope that financial fair play isn't damaged too much by this. It has its issues, but at the heart of it, the aim, which is for clubs to live by their means, I think is a good one. So I just hope that financial fair play isn't too damaged by this decision. I think we're going to have to wait over the next 12 months to see if that's the case. So that decision clearly means that there's no escape route for teams desiring to finish in the top four than to grind results. My Chelsea... Manchester United and your Leicester City are all involved here. Looking at the remaining fixtures, which two do you fancy? Well, it is so tight now, isn't it, George? Your Chelsea, my Leicester, uh, Manchester United, I don't know who they belong to. (laughs) But it is so close. Chelsea, 63 points. Leicester City, 62 points. Manchester United, 62 points. Let's have a look at who they've got to play for the rest of the season. Chelsea have Liverpool and Wolves. I would suggest that that is the hardest run-in. Leicester City have Tottenham and Manchester United. Probably just as hard, actually, as Chelsea's. Manchester United have the easiest run-in. They should beat West Ham at home on the 22nd of July. The game against Leicester is a a tricky one. I I do think it's going to be Chelsea and Manchester United in, in the top four. Leicester City played really well against Sheffield United, but they are missing James Madison for the rest of the season, Ben Chilwell for the rest of the season, uh, Kalo Suyunshu as well is out for the rest of the season. Those are three key players who have had a wonderful season. Each of them would be a contender for player of the season. Also, Ricardo Pereira is still out as well, another contender for player of the season. So that's four players who would walk into the team out, and that's going to be a big factor for me. I, w- I can see them dropping points against Tottenham and then losing to Manchester United. So for me, it'll be Chelsea and Manchester United who qualify for the Champions League next season. It's amazing to me as a Leicester City fan to be upset that we'll finish fifth. That's our second highest Premier League finish and I'm going to be a bit upset. Which shows how far we've come, but it's going to be disappointing to just miss out on the Champions League. Well, John, let's talk about the relegation battle because it's equally tight. Norwich out of the way, we know. Bournemouth, Aston Villa, West Ham, Watford are all battling at the moment to stay up. How important are this weekend's games to the Mekki fight? It is close, but you know what? I think Bournemouth are going to go down. I think that they will be joined by Aston Villa. I think Aston Villa had to beat Everton, and they came so close, didn't they? Um, Consa scored, and then with three minutes of normal time to go, he had a hand in the equaliser for Everton. Theo Walcott's header, concert trying to clear it off the line with an overhead kick. He wasn't able to do it, and it was it was one one. And I think those drop points will be massive in the relegation battle. Bournemouth they have to beat Southampton this weekend. If they do, then it gives them a chance. But Southampton are a really good side. They've showed shown how good they can be as well during this restart. I think next season under Ralph Arsenal-Hutel, they're going to have a really good campaign. He seems to be getting the best out of them now. So I can't see Bournemouth getting anything from that game. It, it, I, I feel bad about it, but I do feel that it will be Bournemouth and Aston Villa who will be joining Norwich City in getting relegated from the Premier League. 
Well, joined by his FA Cup action two with two semi-final clashes. First on Saturday, Arsenal and Manchester City, and then on Sunday, Chelsea and Manchester United. What should we expect? Yeah, really looking forward to these FA Cup semi-finals. Manchester United and Chelsea can take their minds off the, the nerve-wracking race to qualify for the Champions League. They meet this weekend in the FA Cup semi-finals. Both been impressive since the restart, but Chelsea have slipped up, haven't they, against West Ham, against Sheffield United. Manchester United on this long unbeaten run, stretching back 19 games. They've been so impressive. I think the FA Cup is big for both managers, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Frank Lampard. They have to see this as an opportunity to win a trophy for the first time since taking the helm at the clubs where they had glittering careers as players. And the other FA Cup semi-final, probably easier to predict, Manchester City manager Pep Guardiola reunited with his former assistant coach Mikel Arteta, who's now the boss at Arsenal. City will start as strong favourites. They've won the last three games, scoring 12 goals along the way. But Arsenal, as we know, they did beat Liverpool, didn't they, in their last Premier League match. Slightly lucky, I think, to get that result, but that will give them a bit of confidence. Manchester City will win that game, I think, though. I, I can't pick a winner in the game between Manchester United and Chelsea. That, for me, is the one to watch. John, following the loss to Arsenal, the champions Liverpool cannot hit 100 Premier League points. Klopp says he isn't bothered about that, of course. Does it take a bit of bragging rights away from the fan perspective? For me, it doesn't matter too much. It would have been nice, I guess, for Liverpool to break the 100-point the mark, to break Manchester City's record. But who remembers points titles? I can't remember points titles. My team that I support, Leicester City, won the Premier League. I can't remember how many points we got. Um, don't get me wrong, it's a great record for Manchester City to have. They can revel in it. It's great, and I'm sure it will stand for a long time, actually. But what you really remember is something that Manchester City achieved, which is back-to-back titles. That, for me, is more important than points totals. So if Liverpool go out and get a back-to-back Premier League win, then I think that is that is a lot more important than any points total. That is where you judge great teams. Manchester United, Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester City, they've all done it in the, in the Premier League era. Let's now go and see if um, Liverpool can, can follow it up, can, can make it... A successive Premier League wins can can make it more than one Premier League win. I think maybe they'll be able to, although we know that in the transfer market they may struggle this summer, whereas Chelsea, Manchester City, they will spend. So that will be the interesting thing for me. All right, the BBC Sean Bennett there with the Joy Sports BBC two-way series. Live on radio, live online, this is The Locker Room with George Addo Jr. Slides out, away we go, Hamilton and Verstappen get away well. Science is already closing up on Verstappen, Bottas on his own in fourth place. Hamilton leads in a turn one, Science goes through and off the track ahead of Verstappen, comes back on behind the Red Bull, Bottas in fourth, and now Alex Albon and Esteban Ocon are getting quite keen with each other as well. It's Hamilton who Yes, they did. Heavy oh, contact. Lewis Hamilton, he comes round the final corner to win the Styrian Grand Prix. And for Mercedes, the first one-two at this track since 2015. And there goes Lando Norris round the outside. He's got a good track. Formula One next on the locker room and following on from back-to-back events in Austria, the Formula One World Championship is heading across the border to Hungary for a third round of the 2020 season. 
The Hangogo Ring, located on the outside of Hungary's capital Budapest, has been hosting Formula One events since 1986, when the purpose-built venue brought the championship under the iron ketting for the first time. Located in a natural valley, the technical 4.381 kilometers Hangogo Ring circuit poses a challenge for teams and drivers alike with tricky turns and little of the way of runoff. Well, ahead of this weekend's race, there's so much concern about Ferrari's form and their ability to turn things around. Ferrari cancelled their post-race news conference on Sunday after the drivers collided on the first lap, taking both out of the race. Charles Leclerc rewarded with a new five-year contract over the winter after a stellar debut season for the team in 2019 took the blame for an over-optimistic overtaking attempt on Sebastian Vettel at Turn 3. I was fighting two other cars. We were already three cars into turn uh, three. And then, uh, yeah, I was very surprised because I had the inside and I wasn't uh, uh, expecting uh, Charles to, to try something. So, um, yeah, I don't think there was any space, you know. Uh, so, obviously, a big pity, something that we uh, we, uh, we should avoid. But um, not much that I could have done uh, differently. I was just uh, taking it easy and conservative because it was already very busy. It's a hairpin. It's very tight. And just trying to place my car for the next straight, but uh, by then I, I realized that I had quite some damage on the car. Well, I uh, apologized. Obviously, uh, excuses are not, uh, yeah, are not enough in times like this. And uh, yeah, I am just uh, disappointed in myself. I've done a very bad job today. I let the team down. Uh, yeah, I can only be sorry, even though I know it's not enough. And. Uh, I, I hope I will learn from this and, and we'll come back stronger for the for the next races. But it's a tough time for the team. We don't need that. The team doesn't don't need that. And uh, and I put uh, all the efforts of the team uh, in the bin. So I'm um, yeah I'm I'm very sorry, but it's not enough again. Sebastian Vettel, Charles Leclerc after the clash last weekend in Austria. So what's wrong with Ferrari and can they solve this at all? Let's bring in from the one commentators Julian Palmer and Jack Nichols. We're right there. In Austria, join the Styrian Grand Prix. Guys, thank you very much for your time on the show. So, you were right there. You witnessed the Ferraris mess up. Let me start with you, Jolan. Charles Leclerc is always honest. He appears to accept his mistakes and wants to genuinely learn. In a team sport such as this, is this straight a strength or weakness? Um, a strength, if you had to say. Fair play for him, um, to him for holding his hands up. He usually does. Um, but he, he has to do it too often, really, for a Ferrari driver, I would say. Yes, uh, last week he was fantastic. He was my driver of the day. This week, it was it was clumsy. Uh, but you know what more to say? He's already said it himself. It was too optimistic. It was not on. And he's taken both himself and Vettel out of the race. And that is the number one thing you don't do, crash with your teammate. And I think that's partly what happens when you're starting a 14th in a Ferrari. It's that, you know, it's that you know, win it at the first corner, win it on the first lap kind of uh, kind of approach, I suppose. And and it's it's a bit like, you know, a, a bull charges with the red. I think it might have been a nice incentive for him, starting a good few places behind his teammate, four places further back, to try and get ahead of, Le- of Vettel early on. It's, an, it's always an incentive. He's going to... He's super competitive with his teammate. We've seen that at the back end of last year. That dynamic won't have changed. He got out-qualified by Vettel. I think the chance for him to get ahead so early on would really stamp his authority again on his champion teammate. And possibly that's why he got a bit carried away. Would he have done the same move if it was just Perez or Norris or someone there? No, I don't know. But not to say after the race, it hurts to see the two cars out of the race at the end of the first lap. 
What happened is obvious. It's not time to accuse. It's time to react. Is Binotto handling the situation between Charles Leclerc and Vettel well? Could he manage it any better? I like what Binotto says overall. I think he says good things, but he's always just saying the same things. And so then it's like nothing's changing. Like he said the right things after after Brazil. You know, we just need to focus and get better. I can't remember the exact wording you used there, but it was probably pretty identical to what he said in Brazil. Well, it's not the time for blame. It's time to move forward as a team and go forward. And of course, you have to say that, but there's sort of no evidence of that happening. So I think he says the right things, and I used to believe them, but now... Now it feels like it's kind of lip service rather than anything actually substantial. Well, how do you manage two teammates? You know, one of them is leaving at the end of the season. The other is on the rise and the team are backing him heavily. Jolin, how do you get around this politically? I mean, look at McLaren. They've got a different situation because uh, science is obviously going on to better things, whereas Vettel is not. Um, but that's a team in perfect harmony, even though one driver's leaving the team and, and you've got the young star that's now looking very good in Lando Norris. The problem Ferrari have is it's bad blood that has spilt over from last year when they did have a good car that could win races. And the team orders, we go back to Monza, Singapore, Sochi, Brazil. Yeah. There was, it yeah. was just race after race after race. And that's all we were talking about was Vettel defying team orders, Leclerc not, not giving the slipstream in Monza. And it was... It's a bit of both sides, really. But they've soured this relationship. They've now... It's one thing doing that when you have a good car and you can still sort of get on the podium, win races on your own. But when you're in a midfield battle, you just, we, we saw how McLaren helped each other out. And it got... Sainz got fastest lap. Norris got fifth place. Are Ferrari going to do that? Ah, it's going to be tough. Ferrari, don't. They, their car... Is it as quick as a Renault? I, in fact, all of my teammates I've actually got on pretty well with, apart from one. And um, in that case, we, we did have a coming together in uh, at a GP2 race in Spa. And it was quite sour, actually, in the team. You'd, we'd sort of, like, turn up and not talk to each other in, in a whole weekend. But also in GP2, you don't work together the same way as you do in Formula 1. It's a mm. lot more each driver for themselves. Uh, at that time, I was ahead of him most of the time as well, so it wasn't really bothering me. Yeah, we fell out, but I don't know why. But, but at that point in time, I, w- I was stronger, so... Did I care that, that we, we didn't get on all that well? <laughs> Probably not a bad way to go. So we are in Hungary next. Going forward, we still do not know what the upgrades for Ferrari can do because of the delusion rain last weekend. They're still not going to really get the opportunity to have an idea of what the upgrades can do this time around and definitely will be deficient with the old horses and their car. How do they cope? Well, Hungary, with the lack of... with it not being power-sensitive might be a better opportunity for them to be more okay but they're they're in no way going to battle for any wins i'm interested to see what red bull do in hungary to be honest whether they're able to be any closer to mercedes i think the wet qualifying was a chance where it's less power sensitive to show what they can do but clearly the the car's not good either it's not just down to the engine It's, it's a bit of both but right they're in a midfield fight which when there's only two teams now ahead of the midfield they can still finish third in the constructors. They've got a good haul of points still, thanks to Leclerc's second place in Austria, and they need to maximise it. This is like a it's a dogfight now for Ferrari to finish third in the constructors, which is doable given given what they've got, and they've still got two of the best drivers out there. Let's not forget, if you're in a midfield team, if Racing Point, Renault, McLaren, 
could have a chance of a Leclerc Vettel lineup, they would jump at it. So that's what Ferrari need to use as well, and um, and have more races like they had last week with with Leclerc rather than this week. Right, Julian Palmer, Jack Nichols, Formula One commentators will be alongside Jenny Gal as they bring us the coverage of the Hungary Grand Prix. We look forward to all of that. Thank you very much, guys, for your time. Now let's bring in our in-house Formula One expert, Raymond Yamato. Thanks, Ray, for your time. What are your expectations overall in the upcoming Grand Prix? And if you don't mind your predictions, at least you were spot on last week. We saw last year's race and it was quite exciting because Max Verstappen made sure that he made Lewis Hamilton work for that victory. For most part of that race, Max Verstappen was leading until Lewis Hamilton came in in the dynamics of the race and actually won it. But it was very exciting looking at that overtaking and that actually got him the title. But you look at this weekend's race and you can just tell that if Lewis Hamilton doesn't win it, it's very difficult to point out who could win it on the second. And you look at his performance in Austria last week, he did show that, yes, he's really up for it. He's ready for this year's championship and he's ready to win his seventh championship. And that was a very spirited performance from him. You also see a driver like Max Verstappen. I think that Max Verstappen improved his race from the last race we watched. And I think that he would also want to once again give Lewis Hamilton a run for his money in this particular race. And you could see Sebastian Vettel come back to his best. I think that there are certain circuits that bring out the best in certain drivers. And having won in Hungary on two occasions, I think that we can expect a very good race from Sebastian Vettel. I don't know about Charles Leclerc, but I think that Sebastian Vettel should be, you know, one of the finest drivers for this weekend's race. And you talk about Valtteri Bottas. He's leading the championship at the moment with six points. Yes, and he would want to consolidate that lead. But Hungarian hasn't been a happy hunting ground for him since 2013 when he made an entry into Formula 1. He's actually managed a podium finish only once and it was a third place finish in 2017. So that tells you that Valtteri Bottas doesn't really perform well at the Hungarian. You look at 2018 race, he was fifth and in the 2017 race, he was seventh. And so it clearly tells you that Valtteri Bottas is not one that we could fancy to actually finish on top in this particular so if you ask me who's going to win this one i can say lewis hamilton definitely should be good value to win in this one and you talk about max verstappen giving him some competition and i see the two ferrari drivers actually slugging it out for third and fourth and i could just say that looking at the experience sebastian vettel has on that circuit i could just see sebastian vettel winning that third spot so i see a one for mercedes a two for red bull and that would be max verstappen and i definitely see ferrari coming in there and that should be sebastian vettel thank you very much raymond for your time we look forward to the action and indeed thank you to you all for listening in to the locker room enjoy 99.7 FM. my name is george adigenia that's about it for our show we're back on sunday with the sports arena we've got live commentary tottenham hotspur up against leicester city and then we'll culminate the spanish liga season as well and then we'll talk about formula one mama v abwaji is here with news Enjoy headline news at two. How are you doing this afternoon? Very well, George. Okay. Thank you very much. Coming Good. up in the headlines. Majority MP edges NDC flag bearer John Mahama to come out and clear his name in the probe into the Airbus bribery scandal. Presidency turns down petition by a Ghanaian living abroad to recall Auditor General from his controversial leave. We have details. And United States moves to seize former Gambian leader Yaya Jame's $3.5 million mansion in Washington. Details now. Deputy Majority Whip Matthew Nyendam says NDC flag bearer John Mahama must speak and clear his name in the ongoing investigation into the Airbus bribery scandal. Interpol yesterday issued a red notice for brother of the former president Samuel Adam Mahama for his alleged involvement in the bribery of government officials during the purchase of aircraft from Airbus SE. Mr Nyendam says the latest development is an opportunity for him to speak.